everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, or it's a rejoinder episode, which this is. Today, I talked to Mike Correo about his new sandpaper-covered book, Stealth Anxiety Megamix. Mike Correo is the author of numerous works, including Gut Text from 1111 Press, Rituals Performed in the Absence of Ganymede, also 1111 Press, Desert Tiles from Equus Press, and Smut Maker from Inside the Castle, as well as many more. His work often explores the haptic, architectural, and organismal qualities of the text object. As an artist and designer, his work has been featured in the catalogs of 1111 Press, Phonograph Editions, Apocalypse Party, Inside the Castle, and other presses. As an editor, he operates cloak.wtf. Before we get into my conversation with Mike, let's talk about how you can support the show. The ways using money are patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. For two bucks a month, you can get these episodes a little bit early. You can also throw a one-time donation over at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe, or you can buy my book. It's called Type. It's on Amazon. It's pretty darn good. I also encourage you to post about these episodes on social media if you like them, share them with your friends. You can also rate Writing the Rapids an appropriate number of stars if wherever you listen has that option. I encourage you to do that. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Mike. easy to to start out with let's talk about why why sandpaper but i just don't want to yet i don't want to get there yet we'll we'll talk about the contents <laughs> of the book before we talk about the cover um okay i, th- I think the the part that that really engaged me the most was the sort of star map bit in the front half of the book um i had I was I was surprised to see that the book was on Goodreads for some reason, um, but it but it is so you know rate it and review it on Goodreads <laughs> if if that's a social media platform you use, dear listener. Um, but like, I had only up until that point just kind of like picked it up as whenever I I passed it in our library to flip through it. Um, um, but I I read one of the first reviews that said that this was like. This is Mike's most personal book to date, uh, is what the person said. And then I got to that star map sort of area, and I was like, oh, is he just mapping out his brain? Um, and that's how I read it. That's how I decided to read it. And um, I'm curious if, if if that's at all close to what the intent was. It kind of is. It's I had originally thought of doing the whole book as that, just like a hundred of these kind of maps. Um, and I wanted the kind of setting of them. I like the wording of star map. I had kind of envisioned them as being like within a void, which I think is very similar. Sure. Um, but just this like speckled darkness that these ideas are occupying. Um, I had kind of put it together as in the way that I write, I typically will collect a lot of these terms and phrases that like stick out to me. Um, things that pop up in there, like a uh, flooded cellar or uh, black hyper box or gestalt land, these just like weird little snippets. Uh, and I had wanted to do this kind of like zeitgeist mapping originally, but it inevitably becomes just your own kind of point of view within that zeitgeist. And being the kind of weird man that I am, uh, that particular perspective is all of these like 
esoteric terms that I was fixated on. So I liked the idea of trying to map them out uh, relationally. Like, how do these connect? Where are they within proximity to each other? But then within the larger scope of the book as it grew, kind of using them as a way to uh, spatialize this kind of climate catastrophe eco-poetic zone that the book kind of becomes later on. And so I like the idea that as you read the more direct and kind of forward-moving sections of the book, you can go back and be like, oh, does this take place in contusion zone or theater of operations? Like, you can try to kind of map out in your head where these bizarre, or these bizarre scenes are kind of playing out. Um, I am very interested. I didn't see that comment about it being the most personal. I don't necessarily think that's wrong, um, but I am really interested in that kind of observation. It was a useful observation for me because I think that, um, and I feel like I've expressed maybe this anxiety a little bit in a couple of the recent episodes with the more avant-garde of us, um, that I'm, I'm questioning how I read this type of expanded field, uh, mm-hmm. uh, area. Cause I, I, I think to make it palatable at first, I had to like really sort of detach myself from any sort of like meaningful analysis um, because like I was very unused to the form. So any sort of like references that are happening, um, I wasn't getting, and I mean, I'm still not getting, like I understand who Deleuze and Bataille are now, um, but really that's about as far as I've gotten. I know who Adorno is. Right, I, I, I have I have a a, a reading list of continental Francophile <laughs> philosophers that I need to bang my head against. Um, so I was just sort of like, I'm gonna just like let the 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 words flow over me. I'm just gonna kind of like stick to whatever I stick to and not worry too too much about like, is there a narrative? Is there not a narrative? Why sort of thing. Um, but and and your work can be mechanical um and i think kind of on purpose like we talked about spelunker on here before um and just other stuff there uh that it just kind of feels um like if there is flesh to it it's cyborgy um yeah and i think that a lot of that comes from i'm very interested in like data or the accumulation of information those maps very much kind of embody that in that it's kind of all of this text that i've accumulated from outside sources and mutated in whatever minor ways and then kind of found ways to kind of organize it in maybe an architectural sense recently i've been really invested in this idea of the kind of text as a navigable thing mm-hmm. rather than thinking of you know narrative or poet or poetry or kind of these like very traditional modes of kind of moving through a book i've been interested in trying to kind of form some type of structure with the text where you know you can read these short phrases and they become almost kind of textural or material um in the same way that you could view like a particular type of like wall whether it's like perforated brick or like staccato or these kind of different modes of uh the environment around you and trying to kind of create something that you move through rather than kind of directly um, kind of listen to or take on as narrative. 
I want you to kind of have your own methodology for going through the text. Uh, on the title page, I put uh, non-intentional, non-hierarchical mm-hmm. uh, as kind of this motivating phrase, maybe just for myself, but that there there's no intention on my end for how you engage with the book outside of the fact that you kind of inhabit it in whatever way you find appealing or useful or uh, kind of whatever way you can get something out of it. And then non-hierarchical meaning, you know, that I have no no power over you. I'm not above you as the author. It's the reader kind of brings as much to the book as I do. You're the one kind of connecting and kind of forming the constellations in that star map. I've just kind of given you the points to, to work between. Um, and I think that kind of connecting it back to that first question, it becomes personal because it's kind of these terms that I've, or this data that I've accumulated. Uh, it's very much kind of from my, point of view and the things that I've been fixated on. And I think that kind of comes through without a particular intention as well. Um, although there is some very kind of apparent climate anxiety and kind of uh, anti-capitalist imagery sprinkled throughout there, that is very much intentional. Yeah, we love to see it. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like the, the discussion pops up every now and again about like why right-wingers love the avant-garde so much um or at least yeah i suppose i suppose the avant-garde i was gonna say maybe like the profane or the taboo but mm-hmm. i guess i guess they're they're linked the avant-garde and the, and the profane are, are linked um mm-hmm. um but anyway yes so I'm, I'm glad that you put some things in there just to make certain people bounce off or change their minds. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you planted a seed. It um, would be wild if this is the thing that like turned someone, you know, right. if they read this book and they're like, I'm, I'm leaning to the left now. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago, it was contrapoints. Now it's you. It's de-radicalizing 19 year olds it's left and the right. The sandpaper, the sandpaper book does it every time. Yeah, man. They feel that cover and they're just, they're a new person. <laughs> just sloughing off all of the reactionary Mm tendencies um exactly so so heck let's get into it let's get into (laughs) into the sandpaper why sandpaper well so it's kind of a long not a long story but a long timeline or longer than i'm used to about probably five years ago now um i had met andrew wilt from 1111 for the first time because he was moderating the release for my first book man oh man and we had kind of met beforehand just to get to know each other before the event. Um, and some kind of, he was just starting 1111. We had gone on some tangent about there's this Gita Bohr book from probably the 60s. I'm not exactly sure, uh, called Memories that uh, he had bound in sandpaper. And I think he had only done like one or two kind of exhibition copies. And we were both got really kind of invested in this idea of like the abrasive book because we had been talking about gut text at that time before it was coming out, but after we had kind of agreed to start working on it together um, and about these ideas of like being against the reader, having some type of kind of antagonism towards your reader. And that idea of the very kind of physical antagonism of being uncomfortable to hold came up or maybe an even more outward antagonism of it rooting the books on either side of it. Mm. Uh, and we had talked about it for years and it would come up all the time about maybe we'd do this as an anthology for 1111 like collected voices uh in the expanded field or maybe we'll do it for this person's book but 
it's quite a task to even consider telling somebody that their book should be bound in sandpaper to kind of bring that idea forth to a third party is so kind of contextually demanding it has to be like the perfect book for it and so we had kind of sat on this for four or five years until i wrote stealth anxiety megamix and i was like this feels like the right book with that kind of climate anxiety and that like kind of violent poetic nature of the text it like felt like the time to kind of make that destructive object uh and play into that kind of that climate element or that eco-poetic element thinking like in a in almost a rational way of like i want to hurt the people like <laughs> you know that cause these things but although realistically i don't know if bezos is going to pick up a copy um <laughs> but even this kind of like almost childish like i'll get rid of objects like the less objects the better and kind of in that using it as almost like a weapon or a, a defensive tool um and trying to almost give it a, a usefulness beyond just being text because i think often text can be political and have value and have an active role but it, i think often those kind of textual forms of kind of political messaging fall short or they're not you know writing a book uh about how climate catastrophe bad doesn't really fix anything about climate catastrophe and so i like this almost like needless kind of reaching out like see i'm trying to do something even if it's fruitless or frivolous or ineffective i like that i um there there was an element to the text of the book that i felt was um angry um and almost belligerent like i i hesitate to say belligerent but i can't think of a better term so i'll, I'll say it but there is there is an element to kind of the way that that the words are placed and and the sort of like um the mashing together of like nouns that you do um that is like a thing that I do a lot if I'm like angry writing poetry. Um, like if I'm writing mm -hmm. something that like no one's ever going to see and I'm just kind of like pent up for whatever reason. Um, it's like a similar sort of outcome linguistically for me where, where the words are just mm -hmm. kind of like clashing against each other and clanging. Um, so it's it's cool to know that like that is part of it that like it extends outward um yeah and i think that there's this certain tendency or maybe not even tendency but this kind of general view of poetry as something that's either soft or contemplative or reflective and i i'm more compelled by and I think this kind of method often lands in like that stereotype of like spoken word, but this kind of like feverish, like angry, compulsive kind of poetics, I find really interesting. Like it's built out of frustration. I, I want to see more violence in poetry to an extent, because I think that's something that's not often, I mean, often discussed within a, any given poem, but not often attempted uh, yeah. as kind of the, the mode of being, uh, and I find it really cathartic or even kind of amps you up when the line of the poem is like the burning down an oil rig or a, a house or like splaying a, a capitalist vampire on the solar panel to, to cook. Like there's a certain kind of like cathartic violence in that being kind of the 
the party without power you know the the rich and these large corporations are the ones that contribute almost ex like exclusively to climate change i think it's something like 75 or 80 percent is corporate and not individual i'm kind of surprised so, it's that low i know and i you know i it could be higher i i don't really have a source in front of me to be honest but like being the person you can't like i can't stop driving a car and stop eating meat and fix the problem on my own and so to be like like i hope you burn first is kind of a cathartic statement in that setting yeah i really i really love that desire to sort of have um that sort of like crust punk bombast in mm -hmm. in poetry and uh you know i've I've made I've made no secret of the fact that like my favorite poets are old men from the Midwest writing about like tumbleweeds and shit. So like I can't be like, well, it's not out there. I don't know why it's not out there. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I can think of like um, uh, like Stephen Jesse Bernstein, uh, mm -hmm. who who has a lot of stuff like that. I I listen to his his recording of his poem Face like three times a month, um, and and yeah, yeah. like. I think I, I the first time I ever really considered poetry as um, a medium that could be for me in some way was coming home sick from school in high school and like checking out whatever was on HBO because like my parents got it for a month and whatever Comcast package they had um, and it was some slam poetry spoken word like competition for other high schoolers mm -hmm. um uh where people were talking about like you know seeing cops murder their friends or yeah you know fuck you marilyn monroe for ruining beauty standards for women and stuff like that and just like none of the the content really like affected me at the time but just the fact that like you can it's not all butterflies and flowers and dreams and clouds and stuff. Yeah, that frustration is compelling. And I think that really drove the connection that it has with the kind of sandpaper book jacket. It's just, it kind of embodies that outward aggression. And I think a lot of that kind of anger can be kind of bad or not bad uh, in its intention, but like be bad art. Mm -hmm. Um in those kind of spoken word scenes. And I think you have to have a certain amount of silliness or kind of playfulness in that anger. Like the uh, absurdity of saying, like, I'm going to burn an oil rig, you know, is such, <laughs> such a strange and like unreasonable sentiment. Um, although well-intentioned um, that I think that you have to kind of like fully lean into that anger and that, that violence of the kind of method to to properly use it uh and i like the the sandpaper is kind of the gateway into that it's like you have to you're uncomfortable the whole time you're holding the book uh i had a friend who said that they wrapped the cover spread in a washcloth while they read it so they didn't have to touch it hmm. uh because it just felt so gross on their hands or uh one of my favorite bits that i had heard because people have kind of been telling me about their experiences with the book is um logan barry who you've had on before mm -hmm. uh had like his window broken a few weeks ago and during the cleanup one of the people had put the sandpaper book 
in the garbage pile, assuming that it had been shredded <laughs> by the glass, uh, rather than like recognizing how it was bound. And there's something about the idea that like from a distance it appears to be trash that I find so beautiful that I love about it. <laughs> it's not even like it doesn't even look good enough to be a book. It's it just belongs in the garbage immediately. I will say that my copy, the part that bugs me the most, is not how is not the the sandpaperness, but the fact that it's like kind of bound unevenly, um, mm -hmm. like it's just off center. So I can't like open the book all of the way. Like I can't lay it flat, and um, and yeah, like there's just there's an asymmetricalness to it that, that really bugs me because it was easy enough for me to just kind of figure out how to like hold it with as mm -hmm. little friction as possible use one hand as a sort of stand and then just use the other hand to turn the pages and then you're barely moving your fingers um and and yeah like it's it's funny that you have to like figure out how to accommodate the book and i will also say that i'm 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 pleased at the amount of uh, self-awareness that that you have about it not that i expected anything less um but like as my wife had to wrestle the book away from our daughter a couple of times she's <laughs> i think she was getting frustrated with it and she's just like i just some of the stuff you read i just don't get it like i i, I don't understand <laughs> why it's like this um and you know for me like at first like that is the case too like uh, oh there's a, a discord beep hooray someone's talking um <laughs> there's um i'm not smart enough and and we said this early to like get it on the first second or third pass and so the whole reason why this show is exists not the whole reason one of the big reasons is so that i have access to people and i can be like but why though um, and I'm, I'm pleased that there is like a good, good, but why though? Um, or one that yeah. at least like satisfies me emotionally. Like it makes sense. There's, there's, a, there's a rationale to it. Yeah. And kind of to address your, your note about that first pass, I've been kind of in this work specifically trying to avoid this kind of like referential dependency. Mm -hmm. Um, and in part I'd. I try to kind of open that gate right away. I think the, the first page ends with the phrase, I have nothing to hide, mm -hmm. which is then reiterated on the next spread. Um, in that, you know, a lot of these, these lines and a lot of these pieces in general are, have a lot of references to various things, but I like the idea of approaching it without any concern for that. Like you've done on your first pass. Um, the, the kind of phrase that comes out of not knowing that term is often better than what the phrase actually means. I think the kind of classic example of that is the the Deleuze classic term of body without organs, which is this overly complicated, you know, geopolitical psychoanalytic term, um, but is so much better without knowing what it means. It's like a body without organs taken like literally is such an interesting image that I don't really want people to think about the source of it. It's more like, I'm glad I read that so I could have that weird phrase to now pull into the vocabulary. I'm not necessarily concerned with what these phrases always mean, mm -hmm. but more just the image that's invoked by kind of whatever combination of words they've decided to use to kind of label it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the sort of like butterfly affecting uh ness mm-hmm. of the referent of the the referendum um referentiality um of just being like oh that sounds badass it's, it feels like a very <laughs> like metal band thing to do like yeah <laughs> you know the the joke of like a metal band will just open up a medical textbook and find like the craziest name for a disease possible and then just kind mm-hmm. of go from there <laughs> Um, there's this old meme of like uh i can't remember what author it was but he says something along the lines of like i've written more books than i've read and i find that so inspirational that's from, <laughs> that's like, there from is uh, no garth Marenghi's dark place yes yes that's it <laughs> and i love that idea so much of like there is no <laughs> there is no outside source there is only <laughs> whatever combination of phrases i've put together you know and what you've interpreted from it there's no like greater meaning to pull there's no intention you know yeah (laughs) yeah that's interesting like i i think with regard to like my reaction to things i feel like generally i'm especially like when it's people i know writing books i'm i've kind of primed myself to be uncritical but i i think of like other times i remember watching a death grips interview and they were just like i don't know in some squat somewhere like why they chose that (laughs) that that location was probably just to like maintain a sort of aesthetic and they were asking mc ride like you know where what is your where's your inspiration coming from and he's just like only from inside i've been turning away from everything that isn't me and like only pulling lyrics out of myself um and at the time i remember just being like really like <laughs> come on you <laughs> you mean to tell me you only listen to death grips um what a absurd image too that's <laughs> just him sitting alone and listening to like guillotine or something um I like that. I think that my kind of variation of it is that I will take in all of these things, but what without the intention of like properly connecting them to the work mm-hmm. and rather just kind of taking them for their surface value rather than the deeper meaning that they're trying to evoke. Um, like going back to Deleuze, it's, you know, the famous thousand plateaus and, you know, capitalism, schizophrenia is such a like, dense theoretical text and i'm not really concerned with what they're trying to convey there you know when i'm using that within a a book or poetic work or whatever i'm i'm rather thinking similar to like the metal band with the medical textbook i'm like no man machine's a wild term and i am curious like what i can do with that because most people you know will see nomad machine and they're like a machine that moves around or like trying to kind of approach it at face value like with that combination of words and i find that much more useful than kind of having some anchor point that i can be like oh well i'll say no man machine and then they'll know what i mean i'd rather they don't know what i mean and have to kind of interpret what that that combination or that mashing of words yeah there's something rewarding to it too i one of the reasons why in high school i was so into the very verbose hip-hop stylings of like bus driver and aesop rock and then 
um, mm-hmm. to a similar extent, like all of nerdcore hip hop was just that I could like sit down and Google lyrics, um, and like mm-hmm. learn a bunch of stuff. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like my first, you know, like, I think I had m- maybe seen the Fritz, the cat movie around the same time, but like Googling R. Crumb because Aesop Rock name dropped him in a song is like such a rewarding experience. And, um, you know, going back to guests of this show, like I Googled egg bog blushy and it's a real thing, mm-hmm. I, you know, like you kind of never know with, with Mike, you just like, yeah. is he being a goof? Is he doing his thing? Is he, and it was a reference and it like changed the entire, uh, sort of reading of, of the little pamphlet. Um, yeah. And I think that the, maybe the best function of the the reference is to work both ways to both function as its own surface level thing, but then, you know, add something to the text as you kind of sift through it. And I like that within that kind of architectural navigable mode for the book. Um, Cause then it kind of gives you these monuments or anchor points or these kind of points of interest on the map to kind of stop at and kind of dwell for a while. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to use that. And within that environmental setting, I think it allows for a certain amount of kind of duration or to kind of expand the time you spend on those otherwise pretty sparse spreads in terms of, you know, the typical amount of text on a page. Uh, I think, yeah, it could, it could function as a really interesting kind of way to play at how the reader approaches the work and where they pause and kind of sit for a moment. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know that you've worked with Garrett Strickland a lot. I think about his work with regard to this conversation too, that like a lot of his stuff really kind of hinges on pulling yourself through portals in, in the book Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and I use, I use the word portal deliberately. Um, Oh, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, I'm interested in, speaking of references, uh, the sort of, mm, like, 3D wireframe sort of looking images. I think I saw Treffery tweet about, like, introducing writers to this um, architecture program. Is, is Are those two things related? My mind they is are. They're, that tweet. Yeah. They're very much related. I am. Um... They're all made using Rhino, which is the program that that John is referring to. He, a while back, I had been trying to make, I think it might have actually been for this book, the, the 3D kind of fabric-like uh, elements within the book. I had been trying to figure out a way to make them, and John had suggested Rhino. Uh, and teaching at, uh, at Kansas, he had made tutorial videos for his intro classes and sent them mm-hmm. to me. And so I kind of quickly learned the program in order to make those parts of this book. And it's very useful in, I often use it just for capturing the viewport from the actual kind of working model rather than exporting it as like a nice kind of rendered 3D piece. Sure. And so in those fabric pieces, you're seeing kind of a half made model. And in those wireframes, you're very literally seeing kind of the frame, the skeleton of the piece, which I've kind of isolated from that that grid background. Uh, I like the the kind of, it's both structural and abstract in a way that I find really appealing. 
uh, I don't have to make a building for you to occupy. I can kind of make this vague set of kind of posts and hallways and kind of monumental <laughs> spaces uh, for you to occupy without necessarily being like, I'm in a courtyard, I'm in this kind of space. You can kind of occupy it more abstractly. And I think I played with that a bit with um, one of the spreads that says, drink the nectar of the water slide and has one of these kind of wide uh, furling wire frames. Uh, they take on this kind of abstract quality that I find really, really appealing and that is compelling to see how people kind of engage with because it's not necessarily photographic that you just kind of look at it and move on. But there's a way that being kind of a interlaced set of lines, you kind of move through naturally, being that, you know, the type around it is made of a similar kind of material being also made of kind of these thin winding lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminds me of, of going to the planetarium as a kid. And they had these sort of like vector graphics to make you feel like you're floating through a tunnel and stuff. And it's interesting to kind of see something like that folded in on itself and then like outside of it, like outside of three dimensional space, something like that. Um, yeah. And playing in that poor image is really kind of a fruitful space being that there's a certain amount that you don't have to fully do yourself. You can meet the reader halfway and say like, I've begun building this space for you. And I'm now curious to see how you occupy kind of the half formed thing.